The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. But what hundreds of millions of Americans could see is that there's this, the most obvious guy who's agitating for this thing to happen that day has already, he's never spent a day behind bars. He's never been indicted and, the, and they want to know. So that's why I know my colleague, Mr. Gosar, decided to specifically mention Ray Epps. And now they pick this poor guy Epps out of nowhere and say, let's blame the entire thing on this guy. Well, did it's the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. Mr. Epps was in front of the January 6th committee, and we were told that a transcript of his interview would be released, but it's never been released. And I wondered, was he sworn None in? of the transcripts have been released, so you don't need a conspiracy theory about that. We haven't well, released any of them. We've done more than a thousand interviews. You guys are trying to make this poor schmuck who showed up to your protest into something a lot bigger than he is. Okay, he's just trying to survive, and he's on your side. You don't have many voters left. You might want to try to hang on to them without demonizing and vilifying your own people. But that's the Donald Trump way. Sell everybody else down the road. Unless you're going to get a pardon. Some people are still hanging around waiting for their pardon. But most people have opened their eyes about what he's done to our country. What he's done to his family. Have you guys ever read the book by Mary Trump? about the way that Donald Trump has absolutely destroyed their family, wrecked her father's life. They do it to family. They do it to friends. They do it to their own associates and employees. And now you guys are doing it to this poor Ray Epps. Leave that guy alone, whoever he is. An unhinged attack on Donald Trump, of course. We come to expect that anytime that these people talk. But uh, the vigorous, the vigorous defense of Ray Epps, of all people, the, the man who was at the protest, he's on video, and now, now we know, a year on from his testimony before the committee, we know that Ray Epps orchestrated it. He admits to it. He told his nephew that. He texted him that day. I have orchestrated the January 6th protests. Wow, what a stunning revelation. And it comes right as these Democrats, just days before they lose control of the House of Representatives. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show, of course, through our very own website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live and you can get to the live stream page every weekday morning in the central time zone of the united states 11 a.m and uh, of course you have to make the adjustment if you tune in from all around the world as many people uh do we also post the programs after the fact as podcasts so it really is it's it's i mean it's very serious because really can you think of a more damning and and obvious hoax than the January 6th fake insurrection. And today we're going to talk about why. But, of course, in the larger sense, you just see so much dishonesty as we cover on this program every single day. Even in uh, Richard Palmer's morning brief earlier today, 
He talks about all of the, the violent protests in France and elsewhere. And of course, you have to dig deep within these, these media reports to find out that it's the migrants streaming into France that are burning up the cars. Why? Why won't the media reveal just basic facts? Well, it's always about covering covering an agenda that they, or rather covering facts that don't fit in with their agenda. And, and Richard talks about the Ray Epps story uh, as well. So many lies. I think it was Miranda Devine. She tweeted out over the weekend, here's to hoping that 2023 will be a year for truth and justice. Well, we're not off to a very good start, are we? You mean right as they're just about to lose control of the House, then they come out and say, oh, by the way, here's the transcript of that testimony before the, the committee, the January 6th committee. It's a year old. They knew all the way through. That clip that I played for you, that's from a hearing on September 22nd, just last year, 2020, 2022, I should say. So they knew, Raskin knew, Raskin's on the January 6th committee. He says he wasn't at the, uh, the testimony for Ray Epps. But he knew all through that year that Epps had admitted to orchestrating the, uh, the protest. Now, they asked him. They didn't press him very hard because every single person on that committee hates Donald Trump. And, it's, and you saw in Raskin's uh, defense there, his defense of Ray Epps. He's got to go after Trump. Haven't you heard how Trump destroyed his, his family? Haven't you heard how many lives that Trump has destroyed? Why are you trying to pick on poor Ray Epps? Poor Ray Epps. The man who's out there saying, we need to go to Capitol. We need to go inside. He's there pushing people forward just before the barriers toppled. He's there whispering into guys' ears. He's orchestrating, and he admits to it. He texted that on the day of. And yet, these committee members have assiduously defended Ray Epps from beginning to end. Two years on, they defend him even as they go on with their unhinged attacks on Donald Trump. Listen to Representative Raskin from, again, from just September, a few months ago, clip two. Mr. Epps does not work for the FBI. Mr. Epps is not an FBI agent. For It is... Uh, perfectly clear he's just another conservative right-wing person who participated in the mob violence. He was one of tens of thousands uh, who participated. And he basically says his life has been turned into hell by this conspiracy theory because they've turned on him and try to blame it on him. Apparently, all that he did is when the FBI put his name out as somebody who was there, he got in touch with them um, in a hurry in order to try to tell exactly what he knew and what he didn't. And for that, he's been made into a sacrificial lamb. A sacrificial lamb. He, he, he's, he's, uh, he's a victim. He's a martyr. Ray Epps, the guy fishing in, in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, hasn't gone to jail, hasn't gone. People who took selfies inside the rotunda room, they're in jail. People dying of cancer because they were at that protest. They're in jail. And yet the guy who admits to orchestrating it, he's not in jail. And these people defend him. Why? Why? We'll get to that as we proceed. This is from PJ Media. 
about the Rayep's revelation from Friday. It says, a transcript of a deposition of Epps with the House January 6th committee dated January 21st, so a year ago, it's just now coming out, it was released Thursday, reveals that, two, that at 2.12 2 p.m. on January 6, 2021, Ray Epps sent a text to his 28-year-old nephew, and he said, I was in the front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. I also orchestrated it. In the, in the deposition, Epps does his best to back away from this thunderous assertion. He's asked, help us to understand this text. This is the, the January 6th committee. Really hard-hitting questions. Help us. Help us to understand what you meant by orchestrate. In other words, tell us that you, you used the word orchestrate, but you didn't really mean orchestrate. What did you mean by orchestrate? What did you orchestrate? Epps responds first by deflecting to his relationship with his nephew, which no one in the room had asked him anything about. I just meant that I got, you know, uh, I have, I have, you have to understand our relationship. Uncle, nephew, said Epps. We hunt together. Uh, we, we have fun with each other. We do that kind of stuff. After that, then he got to the point. What I meant by orchestrate, I helped people there. He was just there to help people. Donald Trump was inciting an insurrection says Kinzinger and Raskin and all the rest. But, but Ray Epps was just there helping. PJ Media says, in yet another instance, Epps is caught on video saying, we are going to the Capitol where our problems are, pointing he helpfully tells protesters it's that direction. Please spread the word. He tells some protesters, when we go in, leave this here. But it's unclear to what he's referring Epps is also in video whispering something to those who pushed down the barriers between the protesters and the Capitol just before they began breaking down the barriers. Then he's seen running with them toward the Capitol. All of this is on video or from, from sworn testimony. I mean, actual evidence, in other words. It says, viewing all this and knowing that Epps has never even been arrested, it's extremely hard to escape the suspicion that he was an agent provocateur trying to ensure that protesters breach the Capitol so as to establish the left's bogus and whole-written insurrection narrative. It says if this were not true, Epps would be languishing in prison in Washington today along with the others who did far less than he did. Far less the others, you see, Kinzinger, he despises them. Let them languish away in prison. But Ray Epps, why are you picking on poor Ray Epps? Poor Ray Epps. Really, what, just picking on Epps shows that you're eating your own, you Republicans, you dirty Republicans, you supporters of Donald Trump. It says here, this suspicion is, is only reinforced by Epps' clumsy efforts to explain away what he meant when he told his nephew that he had orchestrated the whole thing. He told the committee, at that point, I didn't know that they were breaking into the Capitol. I didn't know that windows had been broken. I didn't know anybody was in the Capitol. I answered him. That means I was on at 2.12. I was on my way back to the hotel room, said Ray Epps. He, he, he made the text at 2.12, and you've got all this footage with timestamp, this footage with timestamps on it. It says here at PJ Media, if Epps texted that to his nephew when he was on his way back to his hotel room, then he was clearly lying to the committee 
for he was captured on video before then, standing right there as the protesters knocked down the fence that was uh, the only barrier between them and the Capitol. So they got him on fit video with timestamps showing he's, he's hardly going back to the hotel room. He's part of the insurrection. Okay, we'll play along. We'll play along with your fake insurrection. He was part of it. He, he was leading it. He was orchestrating it. He said so. He told the committee this. I mean, it's one thing to tell your nephew and nobody ever finds out about it. He told the January 6th committee. It says here, the biggest indictment of the Jan 6th committee is that even after this testimony, Epps wasn't indicted. He remains free, while many others who did far less languish behind bars. It says, so who was Ray Epps working for? And then this is how PJ Media concludes the article. The American people need the answer. There's, there's lots of people. I want to make an important point here because there's lots of people like this journalist at PJ Media who understand and know that it was a fake insurrection. The problem is they don't get into the why of it. Why would the feds incite an insurrection? And, and then the media gets right on board with it. We've got an article at the Trumpet. That's where you need to go to get the whole story. It's posted just today. Ray Epps confesses he orchestrated January 6th, and it gives us the key facts in this story. The FBI refused to deny that it had agents planted in the crowd with January 6th protesters. They were there not just that day. They had been there for months. This has now been confirmed. This has now been reported. They just haven't admitted that Ray Epps was one of them. But they did have dozens in there. Another fact, Epps was caught on camera inciting a riot, and he was accused of being a Fed. You remember the others in the crowd chanting, Fed, 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 as he was saying, we need to go in to the Capitol. That's where the problem is. And then the last bullet point here, it says, the left has repeatedly protected and shielded Epps from any kind of prosecution, while people who have done far less languish in prison to this very day. So we make some of the same points that they made at PJ Media. But then we go further. Then we take it a step further. This is what sets the trumpet apart. It says, evidence of election fraud is being revealed. Government institutions at the very highest levels worked to steal the 2020 election from Donald Trump. They manufactured chaos on January 6th to prevent a legal inquest into that theft. But the truth is being exposed more and more, just as the Bible says it would. See, this is what PJ Media and others should be saying, that, look, the election was stolen, and January 6th is part of the cover-up. They incited an insurrection to cover up the fact that they stole a presidential election. Listen to Jamie Raskin, by the way. This goes back to 2017. They're shocked. These radical Democrats, they're shocked by Hillary Clinton's loss. Donald Trump, the bad orange man, gets into office. Barack Obama manufactures this Russian interference into the election and says that Vladimir Putin helped Donald Trump win. And so you had this groundswell of discontent that turned into rage, bizarre, bizarre election interference, not coming from Russia or from Donald Trump, 
but from these radical Democrats as they got up to protest the results of the 2016 election over and again at, at, at the hearing in Congress when Joe Biden, who was then vice president, had to certify to certify the election, all the electors coming in again. It was the same thing that played out in 2021, except that the chaos, the chaos presented or rather prevented evidence from being observed. First, look back at Jamie Raskin. Yes, Jamie Raskin, an election denier, if ever there was one. Listen to him at the January 2017 hearing that certified the results of the Donald Trump victory. This is clip five. What purpose is member right? Uh, I have an objection because 10 of the 29 electoral votes cast by Florida were cast by electors not lawfully certified because they violated Florida's prohibition against dual debate office is, holding. Debate is out of order. Section 15 and 17 of the Title III of the United States Code require that any objection be presented in writing signed by both members of the House of Representatives, both the member of the House of Representatives and a senator, is the objection in writing and signed not only by the member of the House of Representatives, but also by a senator? It is in writing, Mr. President. Is it signed by a senator? Not as of yet, Mr. President. In that case, the objection cannot be entertained. Okay, so, that, so there's the vice president at the time, Joe Biden, uh, reciting code back to Jamie Raskin saying, look, if you have an objection, this is the forum for it. However, it has to be in writing and and it has to have a sponsor from the Senate chamber. And Raskin didn't have that. And so these radical Republicans, they were all in the House. They objected to these proceedings 11 times. And each time, well, I don't know if, if they went through this same exact exchange that Raskin did with, uh, with the vice president, but they objected over and again. They didn't have a senator to co-sponsor this objection. And so it was overruled by the vice president who presides over uh, the Senate. Now, in 2021, there were 13 senators that had signed on to object together with, I think it was about 140 representatives in the House. 150 in total. And they had, they had it in writing. They had the senators who objected as well. They were preparing to present evidence of fraud in several states during the 2020 presidential election. That's what gets lost in all the noise, the chaos the chaos of January 6th. This is why it's so important to go back to the election steal, because this is why, the chaos I mean, this is why the feds, the government, the deep state, Barack Obama, this is why they incited the chaos, the fake insurrection, because they didn't want those representatives and their partners in the Senate to object. Why? Well, because they brought the receipts. They brought the piles of evidence. You see what kind of hokey excuse Raskin used there, something about Florida this and the electors here and there. He's an election denier. If we use their own definition, he denied the results of the election. And he wasn't alone, as you well know. We've played the montages before. But then here come the Republicans in 2021. They're bringing the receipts the evidence, the facts, 
and there's plenty of senators on board. And then the insurrection. Everything shuts down for four hours. When they, re- when they reopen, the senators supporting this effort, it went from 13 to 8. So the chaos already was having its impact. As several senators were, were they were terrified to object because of what had happened, because of what CNN told them happened on that day outside the Capitol. And so they were, they, they compromised, they surrendered. It's so easy to do. When the radicals, I mean, when they unleash their force of evil, as you've heard on this program in recent weeks, it's just so easy and even typical to cower in fear, to cave in. And many of them did. And then Mike Pence, as you know, he rubber-stamped it through. They didn't really hear any of the evidence because we had an insurrection. I mean, we had an attempted overthrow of the government by election deniers. It's not enough to just go back and prove that January 6th was a hoax. Why did they go through what they did, the radical left, I mean, to create that, to create that chaos, to incite that chaos? Because they needed it to cover up the fraud. They didn't want the evidence to be presented, certainly not on live TV in Congress on January 6, 2021. This is from the New York Post. It says leadership, it's about the protection, the security around the Capitol on that day, January 6, 2021. Leadership and law enforcement failures within the U.S. Capitol left the complex vulnerable on Jan 6, says the report, which is based on a trove of texts and email messages and testimony from Capitol police leaders and rank and file officers. All of this evidence. Yeah, breakdown in security all over the place. Now, if the, even the feds have admitted there were, there were informants in the movement that, that led to January 6th. So if they knew that this was coming, you would have thought there would be security top to bottom all around the Capitol. A million Trump supporters coming out for his speech that day. And yet, listen to this. It's, they've got all these text messages, all of these emails. It says here, House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving, who answered to Pelosi as one of the three voting members of the Capitol Police Board, succumbed to political pressures from the office of Speaker Pelosi and House Democrat leadership. Pelosi and the Democrats, they didn't want security that day. Why? Why? Well, they were working together with the feds, the FBI, and, and the Capitol Police as well. You know, the ones that opened the doors and said, yeah, come on in. Come on in to the people's house. Then you had Viking hat. Remember, he walked in and the police officer there said, now, be careful. This is, uh, I mean, this is a a very sacred place. They just let him in. They were all in on it. It says, Pelosi and her staff coordinated closely with Irving on security plans for the joint session of Congress on January 6th, but Republicans were deliberately left out of important discussions related to security. So they left out the Republicans, just like they left the Republicans out of the January 6th committee. The January, even the committee that supposedly investigated this, this hoax, they're all Trump haters. You can't get any more lopsided than this. 
And why do they want to leave Republicans out of the security talks? Why do they want to leave Republicans out of the January 6th committee? Why does the January 6th committee cover up the Ray Epps testimony until they just absolutely have to turn it over because they know the Republicans are about to get control? Why? Because this was all part of the cover-up of the election steal. That's why. It's not enough to get to the end of exposing Jan 6 as a hoax and say, we need answers. I mean, congratulations to PJ Media for laying out quite a lot of important facts, for sure. But why did Ray Epps orchestrate, together with the others in the FBI and uh, in Pelosi's office, and the Democrats in Congress, and with the Capitol Hill police. Why did they orchestrate this fake insurrection? Because the facts, the evidence, showed that they stole the presidential election. And when the the facts are working against you, you want to cover those up. You want to bury them, because you don't want to get exposed. It says, and in in an apparent attempt to hide from Republicans the fact that they are being excluded from discussions, Irving asked a senior Democratic staffer to act surprised when he sent key information about plans for the joint session on January 6th to him and his Republican counterpart. So when they finally let the Republican counterpart in on this little bit of information, the Democrat was supposed to say, oh, well, I'm just learning this the first time, just like you. They were actually coached in this way. It says here, the staffer replied sardonically, I'm startled. The report also claims that staff within the House Sergeant-at-Arms office emailed Paul Irving that January 6th was Pelosi's fault. It was Pelosi's fault. She didn't want added security for that day. Remember the video of that Trump supporter who came up to those Capitol Hill police officers screaming, saying, you guys need to call for backup. You need to get more police officers here. There are people spilling into the Capitol. This is the nation's Capitol. This is, this is, I mean, this is the, the, the American citizens' House of Representatives. And you had other Trump supporters that were there trying to pull Antifa and who knows who else away from smashing windows, etc. Has there, has there ever been a more obviously fake state of chaos than this? This was started by the government. This was started by the radical Democrats in order to cover up the evidence that Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, uh, Jim Jordan, they brought the the reams of evidence, and they were going to expose it in Congress, as was their constitutional right. Look at what Jamie Raskin did in 2017. I'm here to object. Well, do you have a senator? Well, not yet, but we'll get one. And Joe Biden, rightfully, shut him down. He didn't have the, the support from the Senate. But all of those representatives, some 140 of them, they had the senators on board, certainly enough, to at least go over the evidence for 10 days, as Ted Cruz was suggesting. But all of that was immediately drowned out by the chaos of January 6th. And it continues. The strategy is January 6th, January, don't talk to an election denier. That caused January 6th. January 6th, January 6th. Worse since the Civil War. Don't get into election denying because that's what led up to the insurrection. 
Listen to Representative Raskin again from that September hearing, clip three. Here's the thing that gets me about that, um, which is the way that the right wing in America devours its own. I mean, I have watched Donald Trump utterly destroy the lives of people around him, people who went to work for him, people like Michael Cohen, people like Cassidy Hutchinson. Look what they're doing to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. He, he hung his own vice president out to dry. The mob was after Mike Pence to assassinate him, to hang Mike Pence. Right, Donald Trump destroyed these lives. He destroyed Adam Kinzinger's life. There's a tweet that went out today saying Kinzinger may run for president now that he's a failed congressman. He's on the Sunday talk shows every other week, as is Liz Cheney. Mike Pence, he's, he's got the, the book out just before his presidential run. How are these lives being destroyed? These people, Cassidy Hutchinson, they're treated like celebrities in the mainstream media. If they come out against Donald Trump, they're worshipped practically. But there's Raskin saying that Donald Trump, he's hurt so many lives. He's destroyed so many lives. He's destroyed his own family. Haven't you read Mary Trump's book? He's destroyed the Trump family. Really? I mean, you could just look at foot, recent footage and see how crazy and preposterous that is. Speaking of Kinzinger and the Sunday rounds, here he is yesterday, clip four. As we've gotten into this, I look and I'm like, yeah, if, if this is not a crime, I don't know what is. If, if a president can incite an insurrection and not be held accountable, then really there's no limit to what a president can do or can't do. And so, yeah, I do, I do think ultimately when we get to where we're going to go, I, I think the Justice Department will do the right thing. I think he will be charged. And I frankly think he should be. He incited the insurrection. Meanwhile, you've got one of the ringleaders on tape saying, go into the Capitol, and admitting to his nephew, yeah, I orchestrated it, and he walks free. He's not, he doesn't just walk free, as I say. He, people like Kinzinger provide vigorous defense for poor Ray Epps, and now there he is urging the DOJ. Boy, they really, you notice how they passed the buck. These same people from the committee, they withdrew their subpoena to bring in Donald Trump. That happened last week as well. Right here at the tail end of the life of this January 6th committee. And uh, I think it's Benny or Bernie Johnson. He, he announces, hey, we're, we're going to withdraw the subpoena. Because they know, they know they don't have a legal foot to stand on. They know they're just, I mean, they're doing anything and everything to destroy Trump. As Pluff tweeted years ago, it's not enough to beat him. You've got to destroy him. But quietly, even the things that they do are quite revealing. Why withdraw the subpoena? Just let the time expire and then move on. But see, they know. They know they're, they're harassing and persecuting the political opposition. And now their tune changes ever so slightly when the Republicans gain control. You know, speaking of the election steal of 2020, you are seeing some... some Pretty interesting stories. These are going to be ignored by the, the talking heads as well, because that's just, again, like with the PJ Media article. You just don't go there. Okay, prove Jan 6 was a hoax, but just don't go to the election steal. There's this case in Georgia 
I think I might have alluded to it just briefly last week, but uh, basically this judge that, that it, it was either this judge or a previous judge that had rejected the case because it lacked standing, but now a judge has ruled in Florida, sorry, in Georgia, that they can go and actually uh, physically examine some, something like 140,000 140, ballots, not just a small st- a sampling of 150 here or there, and you look at them and you see four or five bogus ballots and you say, well, yeah, there's some human error here or there, but, uh, you know, there's not enough to overturn it. Well, to look at 140,000, that's pretty serious. That's significant, particularly when what did what did uh, Donald Trump supposedly lose Georgia by? I think it was 11 or 12,000 votes. Maybe it was a little bit more. I forget. But then this scandal in Arizona, they did have a recount in Pinal County. Abe Hamaday, running for the AG's office, he had lost the election. He, again, endorsed by Trump. He lost the election by 500 votes. They count the votes again in Pinal, which is a, a fairly small county, certainly compared to Maricopa, and they find that Hamaday gets something like 250 more votes. 250 in a race where he lost only 500. So he's going back to court. You have Carrie Lake trying to fast-track her appeal up to the Arizona Supreme Court quite a few things to keep our eyes on. Why, you wonder why the judge at the lower level in that Carrie Lake case, you wonder why he wouldn't be coming out and saying, look, I was lied to. The, the Pinal County, I won't get into the details from the article here, but Pinal County had the results before that Carrie Lake lawsuit. But Katie Hobbs, <laughs> you can't make this up. Katie Hobbs, the the lady that Carrie Lake ran against, she's in control of the election process currently in Arizona. She said, I've got the results from Pinal County, but instead of announcing it in mid-December, we're going to wait till December 29th. Conveniently enough, until after that lawsuit played, you know, the sham two-day court proceeding where the judge then two days later comes out and says, yeah, I'm ruling against Katie Lake. And, And the whole time, through all that, Katie Hobbs was covering up the fact that there, was, there were all of these mistakes in another county. Seems like that would be particularly relevant to Carrie Lake's arguments. So as I say, just like we point out at the Trumpet article about Ray Epps, more and more of this election fraud is uh, being exposed it is being exposed. By the way, this is from the, the Georgia virtue for those people that would say, you know, you just can't argue the election because it's not like we can go in and, you know, have a redo or overturn it. We just have to move on, I guess. A lot of people, even from the conservative right, uh, make statements such as that. It says here, a highly anticipated hearing in uh, Scaverin County last, lasted more than three hours last week and yielded a decision by a judge in order to order a new election after testimony revealed irregularities in the 2022 election. So again, this is at a smaller level, but still, if a judge has the authority to go into a smaller election and say, no, we're going to have a redo, there was fraud here. Well, what do you do when it's a bigger one? What do you do when it's as big as the 2020 presidential election? It says on November 18, uh, Scaverin County Commissioners... Uh, candidate for county commissioner in District 1, 
Um, well, it lists a bunch of people here. It says the five contended that the wrong ballots had been issued to at least two dozen voters in District 1 and that the incorrect uh, ballots may have had an impact on the county commission race in that district and, and that had a margin of just seven votes. So another very close election, just a few, a few votes at play here, and the judge says uh, we've got to have a new election. Well, what do you do on the state level when it's uh, you know a vote and, and, and millions and millions cast their vote. And like with Abe Hamaday, he lost by 500. Carrie Lake by a few thousand. Donald Trump in 2020 by 10,000 here or 12,000 over here. You can see why. You can see why they would be plotting and scheming a fake insurrection. Why they would be telling the Capitol Hill police, yeah, just step aside or just observe it from uh, the balcony. Just let the protesters stream in. You can see why Ray Epps would go untouched for two years. You can see why the feds would incite it. You can see why they'd need a trial run with the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping so that they could practice. That was a trial run for January 6th, and all of it, all of it together, was meant to cover up the election steal. What a shame that there aren't more commentators willing to go there. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Last week in a couple of our Bible segments, we talked about the importance and the beauty of language and communication, particularly when it comes to communicating God's message, when it comes to communicating the truth of God. This is from the former prophet's book. I think I have that, that up here somewhere, but that, that you can get free, no cost, no obligation. If you call our operators today, one 930 in this book, The Former Prophets, my father says, we use the college and the cultural foundation to point people to the kind of culture that God really loves, and it orients people toward the future 
when God will restore all things, including godly culture, to this earth and eventually the universe. My father says you can be sure God will have the most beautiful music, the greatest poetry, the most wonderful literature and architecture, and other art filling the cosmos. That's why it's so uplifting. You get just a, I know it's a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket when you roam the campus here, this beautiful campus, the headquarters for the Philadelphia Church of God, and you are exposed to so much of this godly culture. It's not up to the standard that it will be when the kingdom of God is set up on this earth, but it's what we aim for. Beauty, fine arts, it really is. Uh, a spine-tingling vision that God gives to us, a little tiny foretaste. And he wants us to fill up on this culture, this godly culture. My father makes the point in the form of prophets. He says, I believe we need more poetry in God's college today. There's so much to learn from it. I mentioned this verse over the weekend in Romans 4, where Paul says, this is from the Moffat translation, and it's referring to Abraham. It says about Abraham that when all hope was gone, he hoped on in faith. A beautiful and poetic way of saying that this man would not quit. He would not throw in the towel, even if he had to wait years and years and years. In fact, if you go into Hebrews 11, it says that these all, including Abraham, they died in faith, not having received the promises. And so they just continued on in their physical lives, sojourning for God, just passing through. They knew that, that this physical life was just temporary. And they looked for a, a, a city whose builder and maker was God. What a vision they had at the forefront of their minds. What a vision, what a culture they saw vividly. Why is it that so much of the Bible is poetic? It's the best writing in history. God inspired it. I mean, leave aside the fact that it's God's truth. Just look at it. Look at it for the beauty that it is. Beautiful words. It says here in the form of prophets, it is truly inspiring to see the poetic view of the biblical writers. David was still writing poetry, much of it inspiring and filled with hope, while experiencing some of the worst trials of his life. My father says we can write poetry in our trials as David did. I mean, David, he was anointed king, and then he had to wait 17 years before he actually became king. 17 years. Think about that trial and test, and think about all the lessons that David would have learned, and, and think about how much he would have grown and developed during that 17-year period. Or, if he didn't have godly character... Think about how a lesser man put in that same situation would have just thrown in the towel on year six or eight or maybe year 11 and said, well, come on, I'm anointed, I'm, I'm going to be king and I've got this guy Saul, he's chasing after me, he's trying to kill me, I don't, I don't need this. I guess God's not going to make me king. David waited on God. He waited on God and he learned and he grew and he overcame and by the time he stepped into that office, he was ready. God had prepared him. This is from 2 Samuel uh, 23 and verse 2, 
we'll start here. I'll read to you again from the Revised Standard Version. If you have that, it's a good compliment. Obviously, we recommend the King James first and foremost. But the nice thing about the Revised Standard Version is it, uh, it prints it in more of a poetic format, which is a, you know, a nice uh, additional feature to what we also have in the King James. It says here, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is upon my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the, the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth upon a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Stirring words. Here's David. He's called the, the sweet psalmist of Israel. These are some of his last words. As he meditates on God's creation, God's beauty. God inspiring his message. Guiding his tongue. I mean, these are vivid images, po very poetic verses at that. Verse 5 says, Yea, does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. It says, For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? It says, But godless men are all like thorns and are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. My father wrote, I believe some of the poetry in the Old Testament is among the most beautiful writing in human history. It was inspired by God. God inspired the writing the way he did because he wants us to be moved and inspired not just by the word. He could have written much more plainly, I suppose. Much less poetically, I suppose. And you still would have had the truth or the words. But even the way that he constructed the words and the sentences. It's a fascinating study, really. And we touched on this in one of the earlier segments on this subject. Just even the development of the English language. Obviously, the, the Bible was inspired originally in Hebrew for the Old Testament mostly Hebrew, and then Greek for the New Testament. And then when you look at the development of the English language around Shakespeare's time in the 1500s, the reign of Queen Elizabeth, I mean, there's, you, you see God's hand because God knew that his message would go out, it would go right around the world, that it would be headquartered in a nation where English was the dominant language. God's hand, you see. God is a poet. God is, he's always looking to promote his culture, the fine arts, the godly arts. And that's something that we should all appreciate and love and embrace and meditate on. You can certainly, when you read David's words, whether it's the passage I just read to you in 2 Samuel 22, or the many psalms that he wrote, as my father said, he wrote quite a few of them when he was on the run, when he was being hunted down, when he was in the midst of sore trial and test. Notice another example. This is 1 Samuel 3, starting in verse 1. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Eternal before Eli, and the word of the Eternal was precious in those days. There was no open vision. God's word was precious. It's the same today. 
you know, we talked so much in the first segment of this show about truth and, and lies and deception. God's truth really and truly is precious. It's valuable today because it's so rare. As you know, there's a movement, a satanic movement that wants to stamp it out, that wants to blot it out, that wants to cover up truth and facts, evidence. The, the truth of God, it was precious in those days because it was so rare. Verse 19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. See, even as a young man, even as a teenager, this remarkable prophet of God, Samuel, he wanted to consume every single word, every single word of God's truth. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God wants us to consume all of it. He wants us to take the approach that uh, Samuel did. And really make sure that we're not even letting one word, one word of it fall to the ground. I mean, be that thorough, be that meticulous, be that detailed, be that motivated and moved in your study of God's word, in your fighting for God's truth. Fight for every bit of it. It says here in the former prophet's book, we are in God's remnant church because we didn't let those words drop. But we must keep improving. After all, God, God is going to set the world upon our shoulders. My father says, we will need every word, every little bit of education God gives us. I know that in my life, he says, I really need every bit of the education God has given me and still need a lot more. I mean, that's coming from a man in his 80s, and he's still pushing to consume more of God's truth. You saw the same attitude and spirit with Herbert Armstrong <laughs> writing in the last year of his life, Mystery of the Ages. Here are these two books, Former Prophets. It's right in front of my nose here. <laughs> the Former Prophets book, and it is a big book at that, but, but Mystery of the Ages as well by Herbert Armstrong, written in the last year of his life when he was 92, 93 years of age. These are, these are servants of God who really did consume the truth of God who really did hold on to every word, every single word. My father says, we are the lowly of the world, not the, the geniuses. So we need to be like Samuel and work to keep, keep from letting God's truth, truth straight from God's mind and mouth, drop to the ground. He says, Samuel knew what an opportunity he had. Do you? What an opportunity we have. I hear from so many people around the world that uh, really do avidly tune in to this show, to the Key of David, uh, visit the Trumpet website every day. And, of course, they know all about the body of literature that we have in this church. But it's not enough just to request it. I mean, we've got to really plow through it and make sure it's, it's, it's not something that we're just getting through either, but that it's getting through to us. It's changing us. It's informing us. It's, it's really improving our character as we submit to it and yield to it. And use it, using the word of God. In the last hour book, my father says this, in, in Herbert W. Armstrong College, our students are taught how to write and speak like kings and priests. They really are brought here to learn how 
to effectively communicate God's truth, because that's what the church of God is here to proclaim. We have a message for the world that's so very different from any other church, from any other church's mission. It's kind of like what it says about Jesus Christ. There's so many similarities to the, the way Jesus approached his ministry. You can see it with Paul's ministry. But Jesus, as it says there in the Gospels, he came into Galilee preaching the good news gospel of the kingdom of God. He had a message. That's what gospel means, good news. He had a news announcement. He was there to proclaim the wonderful truth about the soon coming kingdom of God. And then when Jesus would describe it, he he used all of these, these beautiful parables. Of course, it concealed the meaning for those in the first century, but with our minds open to the truth today, those visuals really do help for us to just wrap our minds around that kingdom of God message, the truth about the soon coming kingdom of God. Satan wants to blot that out, as you know. In the last hour book, it says, we have a message that must be communicated to all humanity. Receiving God's message is just half the responsibility The second part is communicating it. It's just so easy to receive a message from God and then to be selfish about it and to not really go out to the world. Herbert Armstrong set a great example of just wanting to give away the message freely. Now, those dedicated members, co-workers and donors who supported the work financially, the support did come in. God was behind that. People were inspired to give. But as Herbert Armstrong took it out to the whole world, he said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to go on TV as some tele-evangelist or, or, or raise up some mega church and constantly you know, pester you about giving to the, the plate in front of you every single service or, or charge you for all of this, this literature, all of this truth that I want to give. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Give this message. Give these precious words. Declare it. In the last hour, it says, what good is the message if it's not declared and taught? What a failure if we don't deliver our Father's message. He says later, that's the purpose of this work. We declare God's message on television, in magazines, books, and booklets, and via the internet, any means by which we can deliver it in a quality way. A quality way. God's even concerned about the quality of that dispensation of the truth. That's because it's coming from God, who is perfect in every respect. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. Don't forget the email address, tdatthetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.